think that's one of those things that you got to take on individually, to be honest with you. You can't make anyone disciplined. Um, you got to want to be disciplined. You got to practice that way. Um, not just practice that way, but you got to be in the meeting room that way. Uh, take care of your body. I mean, it's just, you know, success is not a gimmick. Discipline is not a gimmick. It's about an everyday life choice. It's about deep down inside, individually. Um, do you want to be that or not? As simple as that. We can't make our teammates, we can't make anyone else do that. You got to do it by yourself. No, we're on a disciplined team. I'll be very honest with you. And welcome to episode 102 of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. You're one in five Houston Texans as they fell in Indiana 31-3 on Sunday. It certainly wasn't pretty. Add it to the list this season, not the first and not the last. Uh, but joining me for his second appearance on the podcast, the good doctor himself, writer for the Texans Wire, Mr. John Crumper. How you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, as well as I can be for a one in five team. I'm doing well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I think it's uh, it's not easy right now. And uh, I don't know if no. it will continue to get um, much easier. We'd, we'd sort of put a script together for today. Um, but I suppose we'll cut, we'll not bury the lead, John, but the initial reaction to not only Andrew Roberts, who will not go down as much of, I think he'll be up there with Trendon Holidays, the returner that never kind of panned out, and uh, and, and a few others, and as well, 10-year um, vet, um, first-round draft pick. Whitney Merciless has shown the door as well, um, you know, after being such a huge part of this franchise. What was your sort of thoughts when you kind of saw that late yesterday? So I believe Whitney Merciless was cut first last night, and my initial impression was that this was the inevitable outcome. Uh, there was always the 2021 Texans were going to be a team that needed to lean into and lean towards you. I think a lot of people said that. A lot of people after watching Merciless last year were pretty big advocates of not bringing him back and that he didn't make sense in terms of uh, neither the present team's construction nor the future. And it's a shame that I mean, I'm happy for him that uh, he got his money and that, I mean, hopefully he can go sign up a contender or if he retires and that's what he wants. I, I really hope the best for him. But he's kind of chuckled because it always felt like Whitney did not make sense on the, the 2021 Texans. And it's just, it's funny that this happened in week seven instead of back in uh, March or April. And then with the Andre Roberts cutting, I mean, we finally thought we'd figure out the return game. And of course, uh, DeAndre Carter is now lighting it up for uh, the Washington football team, which I think is hilarious. I think he was the NFC special teams player of the week, like two weeks ago. So I guess this team is just cursed in that position. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, I suppose, yeah, it's probably, you know, you could, I mean, when I was looking, just looking back on his numbers over the last few years, and he's never really, and he got air, injured early in 17 He's never been the same player since. I know he kind of flattered to deceive in the, in the in the box scores in 2019. Somehow at the end of that season, un uncharacteristically for the Texans under Bill O'Brien's tenure as GM, decided to give him a big extension, which didn't seem just when your biggest issue at the end of that season after Clowney was shipped off was the pass rush. 
he failed to, to impact games and you extended him. So, you know, I, you can't knock him for signing it. Um, I suppose his, his second contract after his rookie deal, um, I suppose he underwhelmed for a first round pick. Uh, but then he really exploded, I suppose, when he got into that, that second deal, and it it looked like a steal on paper. Um, and I, th- I think we, we, you know, you'll you'll always you'll always have a solid player there who can you know contributed you know fifty seven sacks over ten years. Um, Twenty fifteen was his best year in terms of that um, seven run stuffs to go with the uh, with the twelve with the twelve sacks that year. So I think it was you know that was his probably his best year. 16 was 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 great again but then I, I remember at the start of the 2017 season when Watson um if we're still allowed to mention his name in good light but I remember the game in New England where he bent the edge beat the tackle the ball pops up out of Brady's hands into Clowney Clowney runs it in the end zone and I thought yeah this is what it's meant to look like um in terms of a defense obviously Watt got injured the same game on the on the uh I think it was Sunday night football against Kansas City um and a couple of weeks later, and he never came back from that. Um, and you've never ever got those three guys on the field at the same time, productive. He was asked to drop in coverage, sort of 2018, 2019, a lot misused. Um, 20, 2020 he missed some games, but I, I think it's yeah, I it was a you know, a solid career. Has he got much juice left? Uh, not a huge amount. Um, a solid run defender. But after that 2017 injury, he lost his, his ability to bend the edge. But coming out of Illinois, he was he was the most forced fumbles in the country. So that was the big kind of like elite trait he had. He never really translated that to the pros um, in a way, um, apart from 2019, oddly, when he, he knocked out four um, and, you know, early in the season and, and got that kind of extension, which always kind of felt a bit like it was almost kind of to make up for the previous one that he played on a cheap deal and outperformed that. Uh, but this is a business at the end of the day, and I think he's been a good servant. Whether he'll catch him within our team, I don't know. Um, he seems like he's a little bit too limited, perhaps. But um, any any merciless memories that'll always stick out? Any merciless? Not really. I think when the when you called it a, a solid career, that's a great way to put it. I think it's exactly generally like for a first round pick. I think you're very very happy with. We got. Did we get ten seasons? Yeah, 10, 10 seasons. I mean, yeah. if you count this year, 10 seasons out of Merciless, 57 sacks. Uh, he he was a great Texan and a big part of those, like, really, really electric 2014, 2015, uh, 2016 defenses. No, I don't I don't know if I have any specific memories of, of Whitney, but he was always such a good complimentary player next to Watt. And then when Clowney came in, a little overshadowed by that. But he's still – held his own and produced at a high level for a long time. The last two seasons have been painful. I, I agree on the the big contract. We we paid him more for what he had done than what he projected to do in the future, which is always a dangerous thing. But yeah. Bill, Bill really did love to reward his own guys, uh, the guys that he liked and the guys that had done well for him. So looking back, that's, I mean, it's another Bill O'Brien contract. Um, I'm glad Whitney was a Texan. He was, he was a good player. But I'm also glad that we're transitioning away at this time. Yeah, and I think that's probably the overall takeaway right there is, is is this an admission now, John? Do you think that the strategy they put together, because when you think of the Shaq Lawson trade, when you think of the Marcus Cannon trade, when you think of some of these signings that have, have come in um, and not performed for this roster or not produced particularly, you know, 
in any great shape or form when you've made moves to go and fill it, the Anthony Miller release after giving up a fifth and a seventh. And you started to think actually that this season was was about kind of padding out a roster to stay competitive, to keep your to keep your head above water at times and uh, and be competitive. And and it was all about culture and competition. We'll come on to the Brandon Cook's comments because I think this links in at this point quite nicely. But it feels as if there's a there's almost been an admission of, and that's the second game where we've been completely outplayed, never looked at any stage like getting a result. Um other ones have been scrappy. Um, the other two defeats have been scrappy. But I think the it feels almost like an admission of kind of what the Bradley Roby really, um, trade felt like. And again, that was linked to the culture. But it feels like now they've kind of gone right. We're going to have to look for, to the future early. We might they might want to, to. And I think now they've they've said we'll just give these guys a run. Um, which which you would argue they should have done right at the start of the off season, given all these reps that you don't get back to these young guys. Uh, but it felt like almost an admission of actually the strategy that we employed this off-season isn't going to have any payoff for us. I would agree with that. And people have been frustrated because I think there was a call for this team to tank. Uh, it was it did not project to be a good football team coming into the year. It was already a bad football team. And then we lost our best player by a mile uh, when Deshaun Watson received those allegations and requested a trade. Uh, and now, you know, better late than never, but I think we are seeing this omission of this is a bad football team and it's time to play for the future, especially when guys like Jonathan Grinard, is it Grinard or Grinard? How, how do I, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, Grinard, yeah. I think, yeah, Grinard, yeah Grinard. Grinard. Um, he's playing so well and I think they want to make time for Jacob Martin. We'll see if Omenihu's active again or if he gets traded, but there's not a lot of reason to invest in these veterans. And it is kind of, I think it's, it's safe to say it was a failed strategy. They invested heavily in some veteran pieces to come in and try to uh, tack together a team that could stay afloat. And maybe at the time they thought we can be, they, maybe they really thought that uh, number four would be back in the building before the allegations came out when they were making a lot of these signings and a lot of these trades. But what it really looks like all we did is that the team wasted a lot of money this offseason and wasted a lot of valuable reps that could have been going to young guys. Um, you talked about Marcus Cannon. I think a big part of why they went and got him is so they could move Titus Howard to, to left guard or they felt comfortable doing that because they got Cannon. And that experiment seems to have totally failed as well. Yeah. So it is a bit of an indictment on whatever mission this front office went on this offseason. I think for as well, like you've spun the wheels for an entire year. If you were so conv convinced and had any form of conviction in the strategy you chose to employ for this offseason, and Casario, I think, you know, everybody's so quick to praise him. And I've always said you reserve judgment entirely until it's a three year evaluation. But but I think year one, I think right now, you know, you're looking at, you know, you can't give it pass marks by any sense because you've not only affected this season, you've made it completely pointless. You've not developed young players and you've also impacted your ability to go and sign players next year by exactly what you said, the money with taken on more dead cap. What, Merciless almost looked like an, an, on paper from a fiscal point of view, almost an completely impossible to cut because of the dead cap because you transferred his salary this year into a signing bonus so then you could go and go and sign another whole swathe of veterans who necessarily don't give you much and aren't giving you much and aren't even getting you 
into a competitive set, um, setting on a, on a Sunday. So it feels like a lot of misplayed hands early. Um, and, you know, there's reasons for that unprecedented situation, a lot of bullets flying, a lot of, you know, completely, you know, that'll never happen to a team again, I don't think. So, you know, there's context to it, why it was wrong. But it, but I think for me, it felt wrong at the time of impacted next season and then potentially the season after in terms of having the full freedom to do what you want to go and do to try and make this football team at the very least serviceable. And we haven't done that. And I think, you know, people have got to take some share of the blame and I think they've got to take some share of the uh, the recognition um, that that's been the case. Now, there's plenty of games to go and arrest that. And there's plenty of games to go and get guys reps and get them to give them as much chance to go and see if, they, if they're, you know, viable options at this level. Uh, but when you turn in complete utter shit shows like Sunday again, it feels like, you know, everybody was wrong and it, on all this kind of culture stuff and getting rid of Roby, uh, falling out with Zach Cunningham, falling out with Chuck Amena, who all guys that could have been more, that are all viable players within within the realms of um, respectability um, and, and when they've been asked to do certain things, they could have been on your football team, but you've decided not to do that. Um, in some cases, on some Sundays, um, yeah, it's been it's been a really bad week for Houston. I think we see we talk about Charles Aminahue, and I think Lonnie Johnson too are on social media publicly complaining or at least being very cryptic about their roles on the team and how content they are with the front office. We get to Sunday, uh, we get the, we just get annihilated by what's been a very would you say it's been a below average Colts team? I mean, they were a one win team as well coming into this game. And I think they're more talented than us on paper. They're better than their record would suggest. But that had not been an elite defense. And you put up three points against the Colts and you let yeah. Jonathan Taylor run all over you uh, for, for an entire afternoon. And then you come out of that loss. Brandon Cooks blames the organization. He said, I mean, basically an indictment on the entire culture that they've been preaching. Uh, his, his comments were as damning as they come, I think. For I mean, they kind of echoed J.J. Uh, Watt a year ago. And yeah. it's just funny because in the preseason, all the guys were talking about, oh, it's a different vibe. We have different people in here. Like, it's just, it's different now. And, you know, two months later, six losses or five losses later, it's the same old Texans. And that's what a lot of people were worried about when um, we made the hirings that we did this offseason. We kind of still felt a lot like uh, – New England Southwest. And then, yeah, today or yesterday, you, you cut two of the more impactful veteran science. So Whitney, by cutting him that $7 million dead cap hit, that's a, that's a pretty useful free agent player. Like that's a, that's a role player signing that we can no longer make in 2022. And then Roberts, I don't know if he has a dead cap hit, uh, but that mission of, I mean, you wanted to go out and find an older veteran to fill a role. Like once again, it just, did not come to, to fruition here. So, yeah, it's a there's a kind of, yeah, there's a, I think Rob, Roberts was two year, four or five mil in that region. So there must be a one or two million at least dead cap hit in that that would have been guaranteed uh, for next year. Um, need to go and double check that, John. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I think for me that the fact that you were so bought in, the fact that you almost forced that rhetoric out via the players. The fact that you threw it down everyone's throats to try and kind of patch up the fact that this team is barren with talent is very, very limited. And it showed that it shows up every week, even as you said, even against a team who had given up a lot of yards, who were very susceptible to throws outside the numbers. And we just couldn't we couldn't make plays. Um, we, we, we couldn't consistently move the ball. And I think the fact that that's unraveled now 
after six games shows you that it wasn't worth the, the foundation it was built on. And the fact that it's the person, the, the very one who, who who was quite possibly the poster child, the, the player of any that you could have said is Easterby's pocket, pocket guy, any any of those kind of allegations you could have thrown at this and said it wasn't you know it wasn't it was all hot air and it's proven to be that now the fact that Brandon Coos comes out and says it's an undisciplined team effectively criticizes the fact that last week they had a players only meeting which I think perhaps shows maybe some lack of faith in the coaching staff because some of the mistakes on Sunday were not about talent um, they were about lack of organisation, lack of awareness, lack of discipline. Um, the cover two scheme is a fucking mess at the minute. It's it's awful. I mean, to give up, the whole point of the scheme from a limited knowledge that I have is not to give up big plays. And when your safeties get gutted up the middle three times, two for touchdowns, one off a tight end who beats you off the line of scrimmage and then somehow beats your safety at a pylon, the scheme isn't working right now. And I think there, there, there's so many issues with the, this team. No, it's it's a disaster. Uh, I mean, let's just work from the top down. David Coley, uh, his comments off the field have not been inspiring. His coaching explanations, how he talks about, I mean, he's lovable. He's a really nice guy. He's a good face of the organization for, I mean, how much of a disaster it is right now. He's a, he's a good guy to put up there. But as a football coach, I am incredibly discouraged after six weeks. The time management's bad. His comments and some of these explanations are bad. You want to talk about the defense? Uh, I saw a stat yesterday that says, I think it was 92% of the time the Texans play the coverage that they're showing pre-snap. Uh, it is the least inspired defense schematically in the NFL. Uh, Albert Breer, in his, his article, his Monday morning quarterback article yesterday, he said that Cliff Kingsbury uh, didn't watch the Cleveland game because he wanted to watch tape on the Texans and get ready since there was nothing he could do to change the outcome of how the Cardinals played against Cleveland. And I tweeted out, well, I'm sure Cliff can do all the homework he needs to do on a uh, Lovey's defense in about three hours. Cause there's just, there's not a lot to see. There's not a lot of interesting things we're doing. And then the offense, I mean, I mean, Lord help us uh, yesterday, Coley comes and you want to talk about comments. He says that none of those three guys have done anything. To, to lose their jobs. They haven't fumbled the ball is what I think he said. They haven't put the ball on the ground. And I'm like, well, their, their lack of, their lack of production is getting Davis Mills kill or well, Mills actually holding his own. I'm pretty proud of how Mills is playing given the circumstances of uh, being a third round pick and playing on a bad team. But I mean, we just, we put up three points and that's, uh, I'm not too pleased. The yeah, process is not yielding. Well, that's it. And we were, you were told at the start of the season, he said, I, might, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was process. It was process over outcome. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that now, that it's, uh, it, it, it's a real kind of challenge for the, the coaching staff. And it's a challenge for the, for, you know, everybody involved in this, in this squad right now, that, that you know, there's a distinct issue. Um, the fact that the oldest team we can't tackle, we can't follow assignments. But the but the most disheartening bit is that comes back to the coaching staff, and that could be impacted, and it could be changed, and it could be developed, and it could be you know, refined by the coaching staff. But for me, I think that the fact that you've got a, a head coach who still can't make decisions in real time, despite all the help and the supposed support network that he's got around him. He burns another timeout again this week, doesn't go for it on fourth and two, and you've got nothing to lose at any point in this season. 
that seven points was the difference between making that a game in the second half, and you chose not to go and you know attack that. So I, I think there's there, you know there's a there is a there is a real issue here. I think with the with the fact that the coaching staff continue not to the fact that you've got this team who who can function. In a, in a way, you've now got players coming out and criticising what you're doing. Um, I think you're starting to see it unravel. And it, look, it's a hard place. I can imagine a locker room, if you go through 17 weeks of complete purgatory, every week's, every week's, you know, every angle you're getting criticised, a lot of these young guys don't know how to handle it. And it just, it, it, it just screams of the fact that what you put in place this season goes back to the signing strategy of personnel it's not fundamentally sound to build upon, and it was almost like we were just patting, you know, we're patching up cracks, and and you're and you're starting to see that now. And I, I, it, it just feels like lost time, and you don't get time back, and it's the only thing we're all losing, and we're all and and uh, it's the most pre- precious commodity we've all got. Um, but it feels like we just we've we've kind of wasted that, and I, I think we'll look back on this season at some point, um, and think we could have made changes now. Obviously, everything's on hold. Um, until the elephant in the room gets dealt, um, but I, it's 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 a tough it's a tough um, position to be in. But what, what I find difficult is that Cully appeared to be certainly not the right guy in terms of just the general day to day game, but he doesn't have any other responsibility. So therefore, you, my question probably, John, is if you took Cully out right now, would would we be any worse off between now and the end of the season? I mean, maybe maybe the fan base is is angrier because the I mean he's just a nice guy he he he's a face <laughs> right now yeah. he rep- that's the only difference I can think of because he's not calling the plays he has two coordinators who have their hands all over I mean that is so clearly Lovey Smith's defense that is a Tim Kelly offense through and through so no I I actually don't think it would be that different if he were to step away right now uh, other than I mean he is there. For the culture, like it's it's the process. He's supposed to be one of these like foundational pieces, and I think what we're starting to see is the foundation, this culture-driven process that the Texans preach that they're doing, and just trust us. It is a broken foundation. Like what is what is David Cully elite at that we're supposed to be excited about? Because there are some other bad teams, but. Like, for instance, the Jaguars. I actually think the Jags, I mean, I know everyone wants Urban Meyer to fail, and it's really easy to clown on Urban. They've, the past three weeks, they look like a much better coach team than we are. Um, Detroit, I mean, they're losing a lot of games too. But I think um, Dan, what's his name? I'm blanking on the Detroit Campbell. coach. Dan Campbell. Yes, Dan Campbell. I think it's it's easier to get behind right now what he's doing in the, like, emotion and what he brings um, I know he was a tight ends coach, but uh, to that side of the football, like I don't understand what there is to be excited about in Houston right now compared to some of these other losing teams who are, it's also like desperate, but there's like some, some idea that, okay, maybe there are things in the foundation here that are really going to build to future success. And right now, other than a few young players that are really nice and we get to talk about, I mean, the saving grace for Texans coverage this season is, Davis Mills is already playing, so we have a rookie quarterback to talk about. But other than that, like, what? Why are we playing in twenty twenty one? Yeah, and I think that the whole sort of, and I was guilty of it just as much as anyone else. But you thought, you know, at worst, this team will be better coached. It'll be better than it was last season, and it's not right now. Um, it's actually worse in many ways. You can't, you can't, def- you can't take gap integrity up front. A team runs over the ball. You've got safeties that don't know what the hell they're doing. 
Um, you saw that in the run, you know, with a 80 odd yard, whatever it was, a run, run from a guy who who went to pick above Ross Blackhawk, who's sitting on it, who's sitting in his house right now because he's not not able to test negative from COVID. So you don't know when he's going to be back. So you know what you know from a defensive side of the ball. I think you've got Jonathan Greenard, who looks good. Uh, you've got uh, Grugier Hill um, is, is a player you could bring back. Um, besides that, you'd maybe bring Desmond King as a body if he's your second or third corner on the depth chart. Same with Mitchell. He makes far too many mistakes. Not good enough. Um, Justin Reed's kind of floating around in various roles. We keep messing about with personnel um, and you're getting, you know, mixed results at best. So there's just a, there's just a, a real kind of a weakness on, on both sides of the ball. And as you said, the mill sort of angles, the only, the only bit that's sort of kind of semi-interesting really. Um, and, and even then, I, I think that, you know, if you turn to Mills, there was, you know, there was a lot of kind of easy kind of comebacks, uh, throws in at the flat, um, curls, kind of easy stuff that is when you're playing against a predominantly zone defence, it's easy yards. Uh, but my biggest fear is he doesn't do anything to an elite level um, and he doesn't throw a deep ball and he, he got one intercepted. He got one uh, almost picked off before they kicked the field goal. So we could have quite easily another day had zero points. And there's nothing he does particularly, um, particularly at an elite level that gives you hopes or enough flashes to think you can build around him. So he has he has overcome odds in a crappy run game. Um, we'll come back to that because the old life was interesting. Actually, was pretty good, if not better than other weeks. But yeah, I think in terms of Mills, he's he's up against it. But there's a ceiling there, and unless he just all of a sudden comes back on a different level mentally. Um, and starts to be able to throw the ball deep. I just don't ever see a starter emerging there because there's just not enough trees. Sorry, I pulled up the, the box score from Sunday and I think ESPN decided to autoplay that. Um, I agree with you fully on the Mills evaluation. I've talked about this before. Um, I think for a rookie quarterback to succeed, you really need to have one elite trait to get you through that first year. Because uh, playing NFL football is really hard and adjusting to the speed of the game is really hard. And I don't know what Davis Mills does that is elite. It's not the arm strength. It's not his mobility. He's not an elite decision maker. And it's not, there's not some beautiful touch a la a, like Baker Mayfield coming in. Like that was his kind of, his calling card was like, he just had really, really great ball placement and you could run the offense that way. Um, and because of that, I don't, I don't know if there's, I go back this foundation to build on there. I know we're all a little impressed within the circumstances. There's no run game. Uh, I mean, Tunsil is gone. The, the offensive line is definitely worse than desired, uh, that he's doing well, but you talked about these easy throws, these, these comeback routes. We're not challenging him to do a lot. And even if, so like his box score, he went 29 to 43 for 243 and two picks. Um, it's not a great stat line, but I, I think almost I wrote about this this week is, is our bar even too low for him with how low our expectation team like are for the team? Like if you have two first round picks, let's say you net at least one in the first round, another one in the first round for 2022 from a Deshaun Watson trade. If we have two first round picks, I'm not going to hesitate to like select another quarterback. If a guy like Matt Corral or Malik Willis is there that you really like in the first round. And even if you have one first, if that's the best guy on your board, um, 
I mean, it looks like right now we'll pick high enough to get one of the defensive studs like a Vivido from Oregon or Stingley from LSU. I mean, obviously you take the elite talent, but if you really like one of these quarterbacks, I don't right now, Mills is not projecting to do enough that he's something you should be planning to build around in 2022. Yeah, and I think you, you saw like the lows of Buffalo, the highs of New England. So you've got a far, you know far too great disparity there to to find where he's you know his natural level is or or a consistent level that you can rely upon um, to run an offense. And I think yeah, you're not asking him to do a lot. They, they've kind of narrowed the. I mean, how I, I lost. I started taking a note of how many screen passes we've thrown, but you know, bubble and and, and not. And yeah, it was just consistent. You know, screen, so we'd run tight end screens, we'd run running back screens, wide receiver screens. And it's a go-to, um, and I get it because it's an easy completion. You might get three or four yards. Um, but defenses start to get wise to that, and they got wise to it in the second half. And and it was just not, it just, yeah, I think you have to, I think you just put the whole thing on his on his plate, whatever that is. Um, but I, I don't know how much development you get out of him um, if he keeps playing. And there was, look, there was a couple of stuff I noted that, he stepped up in the pocket. He dropped into Philip Lindsay one time, which before he would have stepped up and just tried to throw it long. So like that showed growth this week. And there are really small iterative steps that he is making on a weekly basis. They are there on the film to show a level of encouragement um, to bring that that floor up to a level that's that's competitive. But what he's not doing is 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 making you want to look up at that ceiling and wonder where it's going to get to because, as you said, I don't think the traits are there. So, yeah, I think they need to put more on his plate. I think they need to ask more of him um, and, and see how he handles it. But I, I think the issue was he, he he threw a lovely RPO read into into Nico Collins, who was a good plus to see back. And, you know, he's a definitely a legitimate NFL-type receiver. Um, you know, pick up in the third round, they'll be a heavy price. But, look, I think he's definitely a... A player for the future, so he's one of the few on the offense. But you know, but then he, he they went back to that later on, and, and you know, and that play repetition, Darius Leonard just steps in the passing lane, picks him off. The game's over at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you know there was there was a there was a lot to there was a lot to like in terms of small steps. Um, but yeah, I think the Mills. I think that there there is a unless something sudden changes, um, and you could put him on the best team in the league. By the way, and I don't think he'd still you know he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be a top ten quarterback. And I think that's the that's the thing. Would it have been three years' time, possibly? Um, and you might give him another f- so many games. But I, I don't think there's any concrete uh, timeline either, John, for for Tyrod Taylor to come back because they seem very, very cagey on that. Yeah. And I mean, to touch on Mills before we go to Tyrod, uh, I don't want to throw away his development or throw away Mills' prospect right now. Like, I'd love to see him play for the rest of the season at this point. And see what he has. Because you're right, like week in and week out, we are seeing the the incremental growth that you would expect. It's just a question of does his ceiling project that beyond this year, when there will be an opportunity to potentially dramatically raise that ceiling uh, through the draft in terms of who your quarterback is, uh, is Mills going to show us something that you want to build on? And right now he's he's not there. Uh, but also this coaching staff, this team is so bad. This seems so bad. They should not be afraid to lose big because you're going to lose anyways, most likely. Um, so I do hope they continue to play Davis Mills and continue to play other young guys. Uh, seeing Nico Collins, Nico was a great addition. And not as, Mills got him involved too. I think Nico had six targets on, a, on Sunday. And then, I mean, we're, we're seeing on the defensive side now. So I hope 
the way that we're seeing other young players get involved, like uh, Jonathan Grinyard and Nico coming back and immediately getting over 50% of the snaps. I would like to see that commitment to other young guys like Davis Mills and hopefully Scotty Phillips at some point, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, in terms of Tyrob, yeah, it sounds like his injury is much worse than they originally wanted to convey to us because yeah. they won't commit to when or if he's going to come back. And frankly, by the time he comes back, I mean, if it's not, regardless of who's playing quarterback for the Texans, is it fair to say we will be one in seven? I think this week and next week against the Los Angeles Rams are pretty much unwinnable games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Foregone conclusions, both of them, I think. Yeah. I don't think he plays until after the bye now because um, you want to give them that extra week of preparation to come back. Um, you know, it'll give them that self scout kind of period and. And I think, yeah, you go and I think there's nothing really to lose now. Based on how bad it's been with Davis Mills, you know, there's a, I think there was always an element, oh, you don't want to put him in front of these. You, you always see that, don't you? Don't put him in front of this defence. Don't throw him out there. You're just going to, you're putting him in the fire line too early. And you're like, that was thrust upon him by, you know, Tyrod's uh, right hamstring. So it's, it's done now. You know, the worst, it, it can't get much worse. It might get as worse again um, for both those games because you've got two really well coached, you know, star players on the def defensive side of the ball. So they're probably going to get, you know, it's probably going to be a similar score, you know, 20 plus points. I'm trying to convince my fantasy football league right now. We have a, it's about $1,100 total in buy-in. And I'm trying to tell everyone we should put it on Cardinals money line. Cause yeah, it's, minus it's 20 and a half. Century. Get, yeah. 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 It's some like JJ Watt and DeAndre Hopkins are going to have that team fired up to beat this so bad this Texans team well yeah or or a, uh, or, or a bet that I was going to do I think is uh, is um, DeAndre Hopkins to score a touchdown at any time and, and, and JJ Watt to have a sign you got a double on that I don't know maybe get three or four yes. or one um, and uh, those, yeah <laughs> those are elite athletes who are I mean I don't want to call them I'll call DeAndre Hopkins petty like he's definitely petty with how much he's tweeted about Houston since well, he didn't like, like it, yeah. Yeah. he's very bitter and J.J. Watt has not spoken on Houston really since he left, but the nature of them not trading him and allowing him to walk makes me think that that was kind of a, a mutual transaction where he would not speak about the atrocities that were happening on Kirby. Uh, you know, that was when all the players were kind of talking about how bad the year before had been. That was like January, February. So personally, my theory is that they were like, you can walk if you just don't talk about like what's what's been happening here. And I, I don't know if he wanted to leave Houston. I, I doubt he wanted it to get as bad as it did. And the team self-destructed. The only person that made Houston become bad is themselves. So yeah. I think we're going to get killed. Um, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter my my Simpsons. Uh, this is the worst day of my life meme. Featuring I did, yeah, so, so, yeah. And Jack Easterby comes over and says the worst day of your life so far. Uh, the, yeah. the Buffalo game, I really don't think it could get worse than that. But if anyone could do it, it could be a inspired Arizona Cardinals defense or the Rams are always one of the most talented and uh, one of the most uh, well-coached units in the league on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, and you've got, you know, this was always going to be the two hardest games back-to-back -back stretch um, going, going, on the, going on the road twice um, and then, you know, having a, a team who's invested. In quite, look, that, you know, the Rams are a great... A case study for they've employed a similar strategy that we've done at times and they've done it twice. Um, 
but the, but they're really savvy about hitting mid mid and late round picks, and and they've acquired good talent that is functional that can fit their scheme and do what they're asked to do. And a lot of their good players, Cooper Cup and all this kind of stuff, are going out early reach. But they've hit on mid mid and late round picks, so they've built a the basis of a roster to prop up those one or two, three star players at the top end. Um, but we're a week away from that. But I think it will have a similar outcome to the to the Arizona game. Um, and I think, yeah, if the Texans have got any chance of this game, and you touched on there, like Scotty Phillips, you want, you know, give Brevin Jordan some snaps. That might be a Jordan Aikens trade that might have to happen before the, uh, after the, after the Rams game for that to maybe actually materialise. But, you know, you had an offensive line, which is your most over-invested part. You know, we're talking about investments not paying off in terms of personnel. You've got both guards who aren't worth a shit right now. Um, who's a first and second round pick, your last first and second round pick combo that you've had um, in 2019. They're now in year three. This should be their best ball they're playing. Max Sharpen looks average at best. Titus Howard is a fish out of water at guard. He played better this week, ironically, with Gary and Christian next to him, who, when you take out the two ones and a, and a second guy, um, I don't want to revisit you know, that trade because we've talked that one to death, but you take him out. And was that your biggest problem on Sunday? No, it wasn't. It was other areas of the team. So, um, it just show you know the, the the parallels between the two situations just just kind of highlight all the issues that we've made and it's so it's a culmination of so many mistakes uh, and I think I think Davis Mills will just have to be he's going to be set <laughs> the dogs are going to be set on him in a sense and I think it's it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be tough watching and I think it's going to test your metal and you know make sure you got a couple of extra cold ones next to you because it's, you're going to need them the next couple of weeks and 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 honestly John just from a general observation point of view Sunday there had the guys round made tackles had some beers and normally I would stop my conversation and watch a third down develop and this you know right now I'm I'm struggling to do that I just kind of keep talking and you turn around and you might get the replay after but actually the the whole bit around the result and, and the meaning of the result right now. I just have become so numb to the last couple of weeks because it means nothing. Like you said, what we're playing for and it feels like you're you're kind of just, you know, it gets in the way of a good Sunday sort of thing with your friends and um, and people, you know, supporting this team, you know, however you yeah. connect out to them. And I think no, it's, and that's, it's sad. That's the that's the mood right now. Like previously, like if, if there was a big down or something happened in the game, you're right. I would have stopped talking to whoever I'm or done, stopped doing whatever, whatever else I might be writing at the time. And I want to watch the game. But right now it is, it does feel like such a predestined outcome that they're going to lose and they're going to lose bad. I'm just like, I hope they don't embarrass me uh, for the first time in years. I'm flipping away from the Texans early. If it's really bad, because I just have said, yeah. I can't see this anymore. And I mean, that's pretty hard to do considering, I mean, you and I both, we take a lot of our free time to write about this team, to talk about this team. We love the Texans, but they're not, uh, it's just hard to watch right now. Very well, that's it. Uh, yeah. And I'm just trying to get my travel plan sorted out. Um, says you can fly to the U S wait on all the details, but from the 8th of November. So Mr. the Miami game, probably going to go to one of the late November, early December games. And, uh, and somebody texted me and said, what you did for tickets and I said look I'm genuinely not too fussed if I come all the way there and as ridiculous as that sounds I'm not going inside the ground because I wouldn't want to give them my own money mm. um, right now I don't think they deserve it I've never I've not bought a single thing from them in a long time and uh, and I would be quite content just to see the people you know <laughs> and not go in and uh, and just watch it from outside and as, 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 as mental and crazy as that sounds that's just kind of 
what I've thought all off season, um, and I still think that now. I've probably probably reinforced that kind of thought watching these last couple of games because it was so obvious. And look, it's easy to get the knives out, and it's easy to point the fingers, but you know this is stuff that you know most people that are from an informed point of view have been saying for a long time. It's now just coming to fruition, and it's pretty tough to watch the the slow motion car crash. But I think yeah, this week, next week, um, and the rest of the season to a degree is going to be is going to be really tough to watch. It's going to be a grind. But, you know, for God's sake, just get the young guys out there and do what, learn from the, the tape last year. And that's the most thing about watching Jonathan Greer. Look at the snaps last year. He could be better than this right now if you would give him the snaps. So, you know, learn from that and just let the young kids flourish and get, bring some undrafted freezes. Yes. Those guys that are on the, the practice squad, you know, play Paul Quisenberry at, at, at fullback and see what you've got. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. to lose. So, you know, not going for it on fourth down, kicking a field goal when you, you've got a makeable, you know, fourth or whatever it might be. What's the point? Because you're going to lose yeah. it anyway. So just just make it interesting, you know. And I think yeah. the Mills thing is, is interesting, but it's it's to a point because you kind of know where his where story ends to a degree unless something dramatic happens. And it does. You saw it with Josh Allen. It does happen. But I think, yeah, just make it interesting. Get guys out there and, you know, give us something to talk about that's going to be not the same old shit every week because that's yeah, kind of yeah. what it feels like. Give the fan base something to cheer for, something that matters. Because right now, a lot of the guys on the field, they will not matter when this team is competitive or next year or even by the end of this season, which would be ideal. Um, And then the front office, I don't understand. Do they think they're doing themselves a favor to leave these older veterans like out on the field? Like, like, have they heard of like the sunk cost fallacy at some point? Like it is, you know what you got. It didn't work. You tried you tried to build a, a veteran roster of guys who really wanted to still be in the league and big roles and compete. And that is not working or winning football games. Uh, this coaching staff right now would appear is not capable of putting them in a position to win games. So the least we can be doing, I, I think as an organization is yes, yeah, see what you have in those young guys, get them out there. But no, also to circle back to your offensive line comment, you know, mm, I know we talked yeah. about the, the guards have been bad, but with the loss of Tunsil, I mean, credit to Tim Kelly. I mean, we've, I've been ragging on the coaching staff. His offense, I think we would both say has been much better than what Lovey Smith has shown on the defensive oh, yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, Kelly actually put together a pretty solid game plan to make sure that Mills didn't get killed out there. I yeah. fought the offensive line at no point when I was watching on Sunday, did I say we're losing because of the offensive line. Like that was actually one of the least things I was concerned about. I was concerned about the lack of talent at running back and Mills' ability to hit deep ball and every level of defense, especially the secondary, which I think we talked about in depth the last time I was here, that it could be one of the worst secondaries ever. Yeah. And that's that's sadly coming to fruition. But the offensive line, great, good game, good game plan by Kelly. Yeah, and I think that the biggest thing that let them down was the pass protection of a third down back who, you know, shouldn't be here. Um, we're going to have that, you know, roasted all over the broadcast on Sunday. Uh, I'm glad it's a later kickoff here because I wouldn't want to sit through it. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to sit through an early one. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think it, he he basically acted like a turnstile. He he got out the way effectively of a block. He killed two drives. He got he got away with a, a fumble, which was you know on another day might have been given, not given as a as a pass um, as an incomplete pass. He fumbled it again later on. I've not actually watched the 
the all 22 because after the the Jonathan Taylor touchdown there's no point watching I just turned it off at that point um, and in that play you've got Lonnie Johnson running to the opposite side of where the run's going he doesn't even look where he's going I think he thinks it's a pass play I'm not quite sure what he's doing I'll tweet that clip out after this and I think it's just you know it's just David Johnson a fundamental whack of heart um, for a guy who should be given his all because not through on his fault but he was brought here in, in circumstances that were untoward and nothing to do with football but what he's putting out on the field right now is a lot to do with football and it's not good enough and I think you know what's you know there is so many street free agents out there probably watching the bad teams or watching some of the play going on there safeties cornerbacks guys who haven't had a chance look a lot of them are out of shape and it's hard to pick up you know through the season but what's to be lost by you know just and you saw that with the cutting this week and I think that's probably put us on a kind of downward spiral in terms of this conversation because we're like because you've seen you know we've seen head roll and I think but David Johnson's going to be in the in next in line for that I think if that's what, what, how they're going and taking those big dead cap hits then like the trade deadline I think everything's up for auction depending on the value um, and I, I wrote that in, a, in my column at the weekend I think you know Justin Reed could well be gone. I don't think people like that, um, but I think it's, it's probably worthwhile if you can get any value for any of these guys because literally we're at a position of we're not even expansion because an expansion franchise is to cherry pick off a certain you know group of players that teams offer up. We don't even have that, so we're behind that now. Um, this roster is worse. We know that now because these are games we'd have at least held in uh, minus the Watson factor, and uh, and I, I think there's there's a lot of dark days ahead, and I think these next two weeks are going to be maybe the, the rock bottom because I said that all off season my, my constant phrase was when do we hit rock bottom um, and this might be it these couple of weeks yeah we are starting to see the threads unravel I think with the Brandon Cooks comments I thought that signified a pretty a pretty big change because yeah. everything we've heard from this group has been positive so far this off season despite all the noise um, they really kept it together behind this unified message of culture and people who want to be here and other cliches that they were using to kind of explain away that like you know ignore the man behind the curtain ignore the relative lack of talent on the roster like we're still putting together something special and something changed on some i think i think people are frustrated they're being exposed they're bad on every level from talent to how they're coached um it's I wouldn't be surprised to see David Johnson get cut. As you said, I actually kind of wish they would do that because it doesn't look like he really wants to be out there. That experiment has been a massive failure in Houston. And I imagine he doesn't want to be here anymore either. Uh, Cause that's, that's kind of what he's associated with now is I was traded for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and then you want to talk about Justin Reed. I know you said people get upset, but, and I, he represents, he is a talented player. He's a nice player. He's not an elite player. Uh, I would be surprised if he wanted to stay here after everything that's happened, number yeah. one. And number two, I think that uh, some defensive coordinator who is much, I won't say smarter, I will say uh, more creative than Lovey Smith is going to look at how we're using Justin Reed and say, I can get a lot more out of that, like by putting Justin Reed in spots where he can succeed. Mm -hmm. And they will pay him more than we should pay him. So I think we should brace for the possibility that, I mean, if we don't trade him, I would consider trading him just because I think that he'll walk if we don't. Yeah. Um, this, Justin Reed probably not going to be a Texan next year. And I, and I mean, from, from, a, from a club point of view, I don't see the point of extending anybody that's not, that, that's looking for kind of market leading or, 
or upper end market deals at this point in our life cycle. There is zero point in that uh, because by the time you by the time you get good or even competitive, these contracts are either going to be expiring or even more expensive. You want to re up them again. So, you know, anybody who's a, a veteran player who has any value, I think you look to move move them. Um, and that's like that's probably you know you might be listening to that going well you can't do that but I think you have to I don't think I don't think it's a you know and you you might pay some guys because you have to pay somebody because you have to you have to hit a three year minimum threshold but the amount of dead cap we've got um, and and the, obviously the Watson factor still linger and then I think you know we might well hit that three year threshold so um, in terms of to, total cumulative spending on the cap so I, th- there's that element. And then from if you flip that coin on, on its head from a player element, if I'm got my contract running down, I'm gonna I mean I'm definitely gonna go and ask to test the market and we'll and we'll loop back in depending on what offers I get. Because why would you want to commit? There's no plan. Mm-hmm. There's guys that's why guys like Zach Cunningham are pissed off. That's why guys like you know Lonnie Johnson, Charles Mena, who see themselves as potential players in the league, neither have established themselves, but they probably know they've not done everything they, they can do partly on them, but partly on circumstances. And they probably think, well, actually, if I go somewhere else, it probably gives me a better chance to anoint myself as a as a fully vested vet, get the four years, make sure you get the pension um, mm-hmm. and don't necessarily be you know, out of the league. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're at a point now and it's, it's you know, we, we bandaged up a really, you know, battered and bruised ship and managed to make it float for a couple of weeks. But, yeah, I think you're starting to see it stink now and I think it will really go downhill. And this is rock bottom. Yeah, I'll go for it, Jim. Oh, I was going to – I wanted to ask you a question. So we both now said that um, that the coaching staff is not really putting players in a position to succeed. And players are not happy about that. I mean, they're not happy about a lot of things. But I do think that could be a reason we see people, people leave. Do you think that this coaching staff uh, survives to 2022 with how bad – it looks right now. Well, well, so that that feeds into the question I was going to ask you actually. So, my so, bad, so, my so, so, no, no, no. You're right. No. So, I think like so, so that that is a big part of it now because that that's a real fun. Because when you see Kelly go out there and he can't articulate what he could have just looked at on a surface tablet, he can't give the press a current answer. And I, I was speaking with my guy Brandon Scott yesterday when he cut him off at the end of the question because he was asking about the offensive line if he was going to roll with the same configuration he didn't listen to the question just gave a generic answer and look that's a learned behaviour for him it was tough for the Watson stuff it's moulded him into a, a role and put him in a position to say things in front of people he doesn't like to do not natural to him again nice guy but I don't give a shit if he's a nice guy I really couldn't you know Bill O'Brien was not a nice guy but at times could win you football games this guy's hindering you from winning football games and being a nice mm-hmm. guy Bill Belichick's probably, you know, arguably not the greatest guy in the world, but he's the best coach of all time. But I digress. the the whole The whole fundamental point here, I think, for for the for the for this franchise and what we're looking at, we were at a crossroads last year. We failed to blow the whole thing up and start again, and that was from the front office for all these failed draft picks. They've got to take some flack for that. I know there has been some small changes here and there, but the guys who are making the main decisions, Bazargan, Lipford and stuff, have all been re-upped by Cusero, which concerns me. And it was always at the back of my mind. And this will probably rock bottom from a fan media perception on your way to a top three or four pick. Finally, we've not traded those picks and we'll actually, you know, we traded them to Cleveland and we traded them to Miami uh, for the Watson and the Tunstall deal, respectively, neither of which contributed on Sunday and one of which may not contribute longer term. One, and, the, and the second of them is contracts not feasible. 
I don't think it and where we are in our life cycle. It's like having a Ferrari when you live in, you know, a one studio bed, you know, you know, no. kind of house or having a, you know, ha- having a 70 grand car, it's a trailer or something, you know, just it looks weird. It's not, mm-hmm. it's it's not necessarily like, isn't it? it yeah, it's it's just not fitting for the for the situation. But my point is you could get all these picks. Do you want that new coaching staff to come in now? to get the exact players they want, because what's the point of having these guys here who say, this is the kind of player I want um, and draft them. And then the next coaching staff come in the year's time and they say, actually, this guy doesn't fit what I want to do. And you're moving them out again. Similar to what you saw with uh, the Florida, uh, Florida cornerback Henderson ends up eighth overall pick. A year later, he goes for a fourth or something to, yeah. uh, to Carolina. So do you make that change now? I think possibly you do. Um because if you wait another year, you then end up with all your assets that you've been sitting in limbo for a year. Might then those those assets may be obsolete in what you've spent them against. So therefore, you've negated the return. I think that's a fear on one side, and then I think the other side of that fear is the people who are evaluating these college prospects. I don't trust them. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It's it's a top top bottom mistrust, and why why should we have any faith? for them to pick the right guys. I don't think there's any chance that Casario is out after this year, but the coaching staff will play a big part in the players that we end up selecting because, I mean, the coach is going to the GM and saying, I need this kind of guy to execute this scheme. And frankly, the schemes that we're running right now are not ones worth running again in 2022. I, I would like to see them clear a house and, you know, go ahead, write a blank check to Joe Brady, to Brian Dabble. If, if for whatever reason the Cowboys aren't going to hire Kellen Moore to be their head coach after this year, go to him and just say, take whatever you want. You can have it. Like let's, let's buy into being one of those offensively innovated teams. Or there's is a guy like, um, like Brandon, like Staley and the chargers. I don't care what side of the ball it's on, but go get a really good, young, promising head coaching prospect and let that guy work with this because there's nothing that Cully has shown to inspire that it's going to get better. Uh, he could be a really nice guy. If he was a nice guy and an average coach, I think he'd make it. But what he is showing right now is he is a nice guy that is a really bad coach. Uh, you could already lost us the New England game. Uh, we looked horribly unprepared for Indianapolis. The record's going to be really bad. I, I don't know what the justification would be for bringing him back into this. Like so head, yeah. heads will roll. I just wonder at what level does that happen? Because well, yeah. it's Lovey Smith. That's not enough. I don't think it's enough to say like, okay, if we're going to hire a new defensive coordinator and run it back with Tim Kelly's offense again, let's say hypothetically, you know, Cully goes and hires a new defensive coordinator. I don't think that'd be enough change. Cause I still don't understand like why, why are we employing a head coach who's providing zero positive value other than, you get to smile at one of his stories every press conference. But the rest of the time, you're extremely frustrated with him. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's the kind of almost damned if you do, damned if you don't position you are at Casario, assuming that they are committed to him, considering the contract, considering what he's been paid, the third highest GM in the league, um, like circa $7 million a year. I think he's they've invested him, and Cal's obviously besotted by him. And I think he's he could... He could play a role, but then I, I suppose people retort to that um, sentiment. Job might be that oh well, Casario just draft the best player available. 
but you can't draft any player in a vacuum because they have to be scheme specific. You know, like you can get a zone corner. There's a big difference between a zone corner and a man corner. You know, there's a big difference between a you know a three-four outside linebacker and a, a four-three defensive end. So, um, you know, I think it's you can't draft because players will be put in situations, and I think that's why you see rookies flourishing because they're in the right situation, and then their career takes on a takes on some momentum, and they continue to develop and grow. Um, and you can get players who are omni scheme. Yes, you can, but they're they're few and far between at the top of the draft. So, I think it's it, it's a little worrying. I think, and it's 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 the worry that you've had all off season. And I suppose when you get trounced by a not great divisional opponent, you had the same record as you, but looked a far far better team than us. I think it shows you we're probably worse than their record. Um, and and they're probably far uh, well, not far better, but definitely better than their record. And they'll win some games. And Tennessee got a lot of injuries last night. Um, shocking to beat Buffalo uh, with a fourth down stop. But again, why did they win that game? Because they took Jeff Simmons injured, and he goes in and he makes a hell of a play in the last minute. Okay, the Josh Allen slips, but you need there is no hiding places in this league for a lack of talent. And we've been shown up now. And people like to convince themselves and thought you know the culmination of everything. Uh, but it's fallen flat on its face. So year, you know, 0.5 or whatever we are, you know, if the new league year starts in March, we're halfway through a year. Um, Kasseri was here from January, three quarters of the way through, almost in fact, further than, and it's not looking great. And I think it, it, we, we're, we're now in a position when you're rebuilding, you should start to build up answers or potential solutions to what it is to be a, a competitive football team. But actually, all I think we've done right now, John, is just make more fucking questions for ourselves. And I think we're, 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 we're potentially in a worse position than we were a year ago. Yeah, and that's what's so discouraging. I mean, that's why I don't want to watch the games. So I feel like I'm, I'm just ranting now at this point. But the, there's nothing foundationally there to build on other than some young guys. But what's the point of those good – what's the point of our talent right now if our coaching staff clearly isn't putting those players or any of our players in a great position to succeed? And then are we going to draft the right guys, as you were talking about, if that coaching staff is hunting for people who like to run these outdated schemes. It's just a big question of where do we go from here? And some things that won't really be answered until the off season, but barring a, a change in the staff at this point and a huge return from the Watson trade, things look really like a lot of things will need to go the Texans way to be anywhere near competitive in 2022. Yeah. And I, Cal McNair has given us no reason to trust that he will make those hard decisions necessary to start to steer us in that right direction. I'm not advocating for firing Nick Casario, by the way. I think the jury's yeah. still out on him. No, yeah. Uh, he's he's missed on some of these minor moves. I think the cannon move predictably was going to fail. Well, not that it had to, but I think a lot of us were pretty pessimistic on how that might turn out of moving. And then some of these smaller trades. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not going to kill a guy for missing on fifth, sixth, seventh round pick trades. You know, he was trying to go see what some talented players like Anthony Miller looked like. And this coaching staff, who we've said we don't trust, but they are the coaching staff right now. They said he, he, he can't cut it. We don't want him. And, you know, move on. Move on to the next guy. Right now, Whitney Merciless, they're going on. So I, I trust Casario to put – to. Well, not trust, but I'm willing to see if Casario can do that. I'm willing to let him oversee this rebuild. But right now, I'm extremely frustrated with the coaching staff. Yeah, and there's, I suppose there's there is a there's an there's an element of actually we could get out of this. Perhaps nothing to do with their own, and I think because if you saw 
in Denver, who were rumoured to be in the stakes. Terry Bridgewater's not got it. And, you know, we all knew that, but it was like Sam Darnold started the season off well, but he didn't, but it was against three bad teams. The, you know, Carolina got to be back in the running. New York sent him a one win as well, but two draft picks in the first round next year. Got to be back in the running. Eagles kind of, kind of so so uh, Jalen Hurts, but again, definitely back in the running. Miami 100% in the running. Um, you, you brought Tua back in there and all he did was throw it at the flat and throw screens and, and swing route, swing passes and, and things like that. So, like, there could be a swell that creates a market that gets us out of this in terms of you know tangible assets and maybe some players, um, young players, hopefully. And that might be the case. Um, but again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, prophecy in some ways because you've got a no-trade clause that you've got to negotiate as well. So, it's, so your market, by definition, will be limited to a degree. Um, but I think as time goes on, as people watch more college tape this year, There'll be conversations going up and down every room, front office and in, in the league, all 30, 31 others will be saying, you know, I don't think, or whoever the, you know, there's a few that are out of the stakes, but they'll all be, you know, they'll all be doing the same evaluation anyway. And they'll be saying, there isn't a lot of, you know, clear cut guys. There's a couple of guys we think we like, but they might not be one year one starters necessarily. So, you know, the, there is potentially a swell for that market. And I saw Lance Erling tweet that. And when Lance speaks about Houston sports, you're, it's worth listening to. And he said, I think people might, they might get more for the Watson deal than people initially thought. So, you know, if that is the case, then that that is the silver lining. And amongst this, it doesn't replace him and I'd still rather have him and build around him. Um, but if that's the case, then we, we might get out of this through good fortune because ironically, we probably would have been worse off with Watson in many ways if it pays off but it's a big if and it's all it's all speculative bets with very you know limited history of return no more so at the quarterback position you saw that through 2009 right up to 2016 um, a failed generation of top end quarterbacks in the first round so uh, and it looks you know there was a bit of a spike in there in terms of guys that have come in you see guys do well Joe Burrow and, and things like that um but there's not many, so oh. I think you know. Be careful what you I mean, wish. We'll for. have to we'll have to hit on the picks. And uh, that's which it. is a big yeah. if. I mean, everyone talks about how Miami killed us on the Laramie Tunsil trade, especially when they traded back again from three to twelve uh, this, in this past draft to get two more firsts from our first uh, pain. But they haven't they haven't drafted a good player in the first round. Waddle looks like their best their best guy yet. I know they took a tackle. Yeah. Um, the year before in a corner, and neither of them appear to be high-impact guys. Their own pick, Tua, looks like they picked the wrong quarterback. C- certainly, Herbert Herbert looks amazing. Uh, I mean, the, the Chargers hit a home run up there. But we're going to – we could get a really massive uh, trade return. And you are, but I'm talking Denver, Carolina, Philly, the Giants, Atlanta, Miami. Count at least six teams that should be calling. Yeah, and you only need three or four. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, you, you just need a few of those that Watson, and I know there's been some rumors, maybe he would only go to Miami, but as this drags on, um, clearly a lot of things we've thought about his character um, may not be true. Uh, it's come to fruition, these allegations, but he loves football. I think that's very obvious. He loves football. And as this drags on, I would not be surprised if he, softens or reconsiders his stances about where he's willing to play to get away from the Nick, the McNair family in Houston. Yeah. So if you get the right return and let's say we hire a new staff 
three months from now, mid January, I could be singing a totally different tune about the future of these Texans. But right now, this is this is rock bottom. Well, that's it. I suppose, yeah, because if you think if you if you are to just attract a new coaching staff, you know, you took Urban Meyer in there, who was meant to be a big hire coaching staff. It was a bit a little bit later in the process, so it kind of um, you maybe don't got the best staff in there. But you know, that was like a covet job because you had assets to change it. So I don't see why Houston couldn't be that. But again, you've got to clear house and um, keeping the same front office and not clear, you know, clearing right, you know. That was why last offseason was so frustrating and it felt like you sort of predetermined the outcome of this year and you have done. But I suppose when you've got, you know, when you've got all these kind of kind of variables, coaching staff, front office, players, picks, trading your best player, there is so much up in the air right now that there's just, just like Davis Mills, there is just such a wide variety of outcomes that, that could uncover themselves. Yeah, this is as bad as it can get because we have a lot of, just a lot of the things that make up your organization we kind of have our hands tied or are frankly negatives right now. So like, we don't, we don't have a staff that we believe in. We don't have a lot of talent right now. The cap situation's horrible, but in the past, what we haven't had is we've got picks coming. We have what is hopefully a big return on the, the Watson front. The cap situation is not permanent and you can, you can change the staff. You can change things around there. So I'm not, I'm not bailing on this team. I love this team. I think better days are ahead. Uh, those better days will not be Sunday in Arizona. Well, that's it. Jay yeah. Watt. <laughs> and yeah, you've got you've got an undefeated Cardinals team who won a game handedly on the road with a with a quality control guy calling the plays because your head coach was was not there um, and and looked and looked you know every bit. And don't get me wrong, Cleveland are, are beat up right now. No tackles, no running backs by the end of it. Lost their best linebacker they got in the second round. So you look, they're they're kind of on the down. So yeah, look at and they still made a bit of a fight with it. Baker Mayfield's not been healthy in his labrum since he tore it when he tried to decide to tackle Justin Reed in week two. So, you know, there's there, they looked comfortable. They're at home. It's on the late slate. It's gonna be a lot of media attention on it. Um, you're gonna have the revision of all this history that's led us to this point. Um, when it all started at the off-season 29 or started as soon as that Kansas City game finished. You've got one of the big protagonists there on the field is likely going to score against you at least once because um, you can guarantee they'll be scheming it up from as many chances as you can get. Um, you can guarantee they'll be creating stunts and twists for Watt to go and make some plays because that's the way you motivate guys and that's the way you keep players on the side. The opposite of what we're doing right now and it seems like the crack emerged. The fact, and it might look at it, and it might not be as bad in that room and all those sentiments that the, the guys gave out and the media availability early in the year May well have been true. It doesn't take a lot to change that. And it might have just been the fact that the Brandon Cooks just was pissed off again. And he feels like he's wasting the fight, you know, the sort of, you know, the sort of latter, latter third of his career here. Um, he said he didn't want to get traded, but he might change his stance on that. Now you never know. So um, but I think that there are some cracks there. It might not be as bad as we think we are, but I think we won't get away from the fact that we have the talent and there will be more days like there were on Sunday, and we're going up against far better teams in the next two weeks. Um, then we were, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, John, because it's just going to be like this probably again. So I might just repeat this one next. I think after, we're just going to cry. Uh, uh, we're going to hopefully we both make some money. Uh, I think the line right now, it opened at Cardinals minus 16 and it yeah, was 16. immediately bet up to 17. Would you still take the Cardinals to cover by three yeah. touchdowns? Because yeah, I think I'm going to. Well, I think when you've got a zone scheme that's got so many holes in it and they are clear strength, 
uh, with Rondale Moore coming in is wide receiver. So they're, they're mm-hmm. our biggest weakness, quite arguably, um, is and their offensive line has got nobody on it. Max Max Garcia was snapping the ball for them um, on on Sunday, and he kept he kept missed time in it uh, because Roddy Hudson was out. And so even the fact that they were they were given a negative yards away three or four times, it didn't matter. They came back, and because they've got their biggest strength is their wide receivers, and it's not a true spread system that they run there. Uh, but they've developed it. Um, they've they've refined it for the pros. And their biggest strength is just finding space. Whether if it's not if it's not Christian Kirk, you got AG Green and Hop outside. You got Rondell Moore coming in as a third and fourth receiver at times. You've then got Zach Ertz who make his first game against them um, as well. So like you know, it's just like considering if yeah, I mean, the, the, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a four hundred and fifty yard job. Um, you know, and that would be culminative, but uh, from Murray's legs and thing. But we're not athletic up front. We can't set the edge, so he's going to leak out. Um, and I think we'll struggle to get negative plays against him because we can't. As I said, their line's not great, but we've not shown it. You know, any aptitude for rushing the passer. So, but I think it will be. It's got a. It's got a chance to snowball uh, when you think of our big weaknesses versus their clear league league leading strengths. You know. Yeah. And one of the one of the saving graces usually in the NFL is when a bad team, especially when a really bad team plays a really good team, is the really good team does not prepare like prepare very well that week because yeah. they know they have enough talent to get by. What's horrifying about this game is we're a really bad team playing a really good team whose two of their team captains would like to run up the score, I imagine, in Hopkins and Watt against the Texans. Uh, I do not think they will lack any motivation or preparation in that locker room this week. I think they'd like to make a show of it and move yeah. to be seven and zero. Uh, yeah, I'd like. I mean, if if they weren't on the team, if this was just, I mean, if this was an undefeated, you know, we play the Rams the next week, that would just be like, oh, they're a really good team. But I don't think the Rams will take us particularly seriously. I do think the Cardinals have a vested interest in making this one look. Very yeah, bad, th- which is think, scary. Yeah, because they you, you saw that with the Rams on Sunday. You think they were twenty-seven to eight up or twenty-seven to six up at the half, and they obviously just took their foot off the gas, ran the ball, killed the clock. Um, yeah, whereas I, I think that yeah, there's, there's a motivation there not to do that, and I think that's that's where the, the spread comes in. And look, this team might surprise us. Um, you know, I put those chances at two or three percent of you know keeping it serviceable and close, and that might be the case. Um, but there's been nothing so far in the first five six weeks that have shown that that could be you know a plausible outcome. So yeah, yeah I think we're I think we're in for a in for a tough one Sunday. I said I'm glad it's a late game. Me too. Uh, get a few down your neck before it kicks off and, uh, and uh, there'll be a four o'clock, four o'clock kickoff here. I can drink yeah. whiskey by then. That's appropriate. Yeah. It was nine nine twenty five here. So um, yeah, no, go for in it. In most games the Texans have played so far this year, I can like envision a game script in which they could win. Like against against the yeah. Patriots, that actually came to fruition. They they did everything that they needed to do. Uh, they just blew the game against the Colts. Going into it, I could tell myself like I see a scenario where Carson Wentz plays poorly enough, and you know Frank Reich has somewhat of an aversion for whatever reason to giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor. Maybe they don't run it enough, and Mills has a really nice game, and we can steal one. I cannot imagine any scenario where we steal one this week. I don't know what would have to happen barring some horrific injuries that no one wants to see. Uh, I don't, I don't think the Texans are winning this game. 
And I, I think we play it safe and I think we just try and you know, keep our heads above water. And I think that's the issue because you won't go and chase points. Um, and that's how they, you know, and, and Cully said that in his press, his, his in-house media, they, oh, it snowballed. And it said, well, it snowballed because you weren't aggressive enough <laughs> and going for it. And uh, and you gave the ball away and you made, and and I, I think as well, you saw it on Sunday, like the, we got the ball back at uh, 10-3 and we ran the ball twice with mm-hmm. limited time on the clock. You think, well, what's the point of any of us watching this? You're just going to run, you know, and I, I think it was Rivers tweeted out, Rivers McKevin tweeted out, uh, look, if you run the ball at all on this drive, just kneel it. Just kneel it now, you know. Uh, and 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 some of those runs are just as good as Neil's at times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, by playing not to get embarrassed. I mean, since the Carolina start, we've seen this coaching staff has a very vested interest in protecting Davis Mills. But at this point, by playing not to get embarrassed, when we're playing these good teams, like the Colts had a lot more talent than us, uh, like you're gonna you're gonna get run out of the building. You have to be aggressive when you're at this far of a talent deficit. And frankly, you have nothing to lose. I said earlier, if you're going to lose, go lose big. Because it doesn't matter if the loss is embarrassing. The record is going to look the same, and that is what people are going to remember. So, like, let's go let's go find some things out. And maybe, maybe it'll go really poorly, but I would rather watch us actually try to score touchdowns versus, I agree with you, I think they're going to have a run-heavy game strip a game script that dominates time of possession and maybe makes it look slightly more respectable than it would have if Mills has another turnover or two. Yeah. And, and they're not great against the defend the run either. So I think, you know, there's a chance there to, to you got to keep, you've got to keep it, you know, tight for three quarters. <laughs> You're going to have a chance, but yeah, I think you could be sitting like 14, 21 nil down some way through the first half. And at that point, it's, it's a long old way back, but you know, we'll not try and pre-predict a script that uh, seems, you know, already written for many of us but any final thoughts John before we get we've vented a lot I hope this has helped guys at home uh, I'll, I'll be praying for you this week all of you all of you listening I think we're going to need it yeah yeah well that's it we said be safety in numbers um, it was going to be a slog yeah. we're getting into the real stretch of the slog and it's got a potential the back end of the season to get a little bit better than this um, but I think this is the, the real test of do how much the guys want it does your does a captain on your team want to stand there and go and block, you know, go and block a, a defensive back, not a mismatch, and mm-hmm. save your quarterback for your young quarterback and his first ever season in the NFL, not to go and get killed. And it's like you got to ask guys, how much do you want it? Because on Sunday you didn't want it, and if you don't want it, these guys will will play it on you. Uh, but starting on Sunday against two of your very familiar guys who both should be on this roster, um, you know, and that that's the saddest bit about it. Well, thanks again for having me. No, appreciate it. Thanks very much to John for his time again this week, joining us on episode 102 of the Turn Up For What podcast. Let's hang in. There's a long way to go, but we'll get there slowly but surely um, in this long old 21 season of misery and suffering or whatever you want to call it. But thanks again for listening. If you're not already, check out the website at podcasttexas.com. Give us a like, share it on whatever platform uh, or whatever medium you're listening on. But thanks again, and we'll catch you again next week.